Welcome to the Women Empower podcast, where women entrepreneurs share their stories, struggles, and accomplishments. We are here to listen to women in all walks of life, from starting a business to running million-dollar companies, from personal to business, and everything in between. Let's get started. Here's your host, Brie Logue. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Women of Power podcast. I'm your host, Brie Loke. Today we have Haley Priceless. She's an artist who coaches other artists how to grow their business. So Haley, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and what you're currently doing? Yeah, so I'm Haley Price. I am an artist, an online art gallery owner, and an art coach, an art business coach for other artists. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. So how long have you been an artist? So I've been an artist... I mean, realistically, I guess all my life, but I started to take it seriously, probably high school and then ended up actually studying art and business in college and then graduated and was kind of selling some of my paintings on the side. Wasn't really sure if that's what I wanted to do. If I wanted to, I was working a marketing job at a magazine and then kind of just jumped into it and was like, I think this is what I meant to be doing. And that led to all these other things. (laughs) Oh, I love that. So let's talk a little bit about creativity. Um, cause that's what I think of when I think of artists. And I feel like so many entrepreneurs either think they're creative or think they are not and put themselves in those two very categories. I believe everybody has a little bit of creativity in them. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? I definitely think everyone has creativity. It's just how we implement it and how we think about it. Because on the flip side, I think I'm both very left-brained and very right-brained. And I'm like, I think if I can straddle that line, everyone has a, a bit of both. And I think even if you are so analytical, you, you know, maybe you're an accountant, you're like, I'm as left-brained as they come. There's still some level of creative thinking that goes into all of that. It's just, you know, it might not be the traditional creativity of, you know, I go and do crafts after work, but it, there's still so many ways I think we all can be creative. I agree. And I thought I was not a creative person for the longest time um, because I am a very analytical person. But when I started, you know, just playing around, like um, actually painting was something I was like, I'm going to like during, during the pandemic. And I was like, I need to find like a hobby that I can do from home and like that I liked doing. And I am not a great painter by any means, but it is so fun and just so relaxing for me. Yeah. It's such a great way to get out of your own head. And I think the struggle for me and probably for a lot of other artists is once you actually make it a business, it's hard to get back to that therapeutic aspect. It's all of a sudden, okay, well, am I doing this for myself or am I doing this for my business? And so I've started implementing or bringing in a lot more other hobbies that are a little bit outside of just what I normally do. Like I'm really bad at ceramics. So I've done some ceramics because I'm like, well, I'm not going to sell this or knitting or crochet or anything that's still creative but that isn't with the intention to sell because I think that's been a barrier for me with, with painting. I love it, but I'm like, I can't get out of that headspace of, you know, the end goal of this is to sell it or get it in the gallery. So how'd you make that transition originally from, you know, just doing it for fun to actually making it a business? Yeah. So I kind of always sold my paintings on the side. Um, I grew up with an interior designer as a mother. So she was pretty supportive of, you know, running your own business and doing your own thing, which I feel really fortunate to have grown up that way. And so I always was like thinking of different ways I can get my art in front of people, even in school. Like I hosted an art sale and just invited all the art students and it took off. And like we sold an insane amount. And I think we gave a portion to charity or it went back to the art department. I can't remember. But I've always been thinking of kind of different ways to sell my work. And I don't think it was until 
probably a few months out of school that I started really seeing, okay, this, this can be profitable. Like I, I made an Instagram account and it just, you know, it started really organically. And I was like, I just want to make some money on the side. But as the commission request started really rolling in, I realized, you know, there's something more here. It's not just, oh, this is my side thing. I, I saw enough stability with it. And so I kind of wrote up a business plan and figured out realistically, what would I need to create in a month to make this quote unquote, like a livable salary. And so I, I saw that that was viable and eventually, you know, I saved up some money and I decided it was time to make the leap. Oh, I love that. So let's talk a little bit about Instagram. Is that how you primarily sell your paintings? Yeah. Well, when I started out, I would say it was primarily Instagram. I would say now I still get a lot of, you know, new customers and stuff from there, but I'm focusing a lot more on email um, and kind of just different ways of reaching people. I mean, I have, well, I, my online gallery website, which I rep a lot of other artists, that's where I sell my work as well. So I focus on building a strong website, but also building something that I own. So an email list is something you own, whereas Instagram, you know, I'm sure you know, like the algorithm can change. And all of a sudden you go from having 200 people liking your posts to 10 people liking your posts. And so I felt with that variability, it was safer to use Instagram still. You know, I think it's a great portfolio. It's a great way to showcase your work in a visual platform, but ultimately drive people to an email list where I can, you know, at least make sure it's getting to their inbox. I love that. And not enough people talk about that because you're exactly right. Like I've heard so many business owners lately who have just gotten completely locked out of their, you know, Facebook or Instagram accounts. And that's where they primarily do all their business. And they're just like, oh, what am I going to do for my marketing stuff now? And it's like, oh, you should have like been driving those people to your email list in the beginning. Um, but yeah, that's an amazing tip. I love that. Yeah. I actually took a business course and I remember she was so big on email and I think everyone kind of turns their nose up to email in the beginning. They're like, Oh, I don't want to be spammy. Like, are people going to actually read these? Like Instagram's so easy. But I think well, I'm so glad I started my email last when I did, because now it's at a size where it's, you know, it's growing and it's pretty big and I can really generate sales from it. But I think it's just getting over that hump of, you know, what is this and how am I going to communicate with people and and understanding it is a little bit of a different platform than Instagram and it takes a little bit more work to grow, but it's worth it in the long run. Yes, for sure. Um, just cu- out of curiosity, what do you use for your email list to blast out your emails? I use, and I might not be saying this right, Clavio or Clavio. I don't know how to pronounce it. It starts with a K. Um, I used to use MailChimp, but I have a Shopify website. And for some reason, MailChimp stopped working with Shopify at a point. I think they work again now. I don't know. And so I switched and I love it. I've never looked back. That's awesome. So when did you make the transition from being a full-time artist to also coaching artists? Yeah. So I still create, I would say... I'm not necessarily a full-time artist anymore. I think it's like a third of my career now, but I opened the online art gallery, the Scouted Studio. And so I started repping all these different artists and a lot of them were coming to me just with general questions. And it was a lot of business questions, but just general, like, how do I ship a big painting? How do I do this? How do I do that? And from my own experience as an artist, but also going to business school, I was like, or getting a degree in business in college, I just naturally kind of assumed everyone knew how to make a, you know, a financial tracker in an Excel spreadsheet or how to look at a profit and loss statement or even like what different tax forms were and stuff. And I wasn't really planning on being a coach, but I was just having these conversations and I realized there was such a need that I was thinking, okay, I need to figure out a way to get this information out in the world. And so I started with one-on-one coaching, just talking to a few artists here and there, like hourly once a month or once a week. And 
it just really grew really quickly. And so now I have a membership and a blog and just so many different resources, free and affordable for artists, because I think it's something a lot of women in business and just business owners in general need a coach. But I think especially in the art community, it's just, again, it's a lot of these right-brained people and maybe they didn't go to business school. They don't have a background in a lot of this stuff that is going to help you be a more profitable business owner in the long run. No, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like artists, you know, are pretty extreme one side. So it's really cool that you're there to guide them. Yeah. I, I really enjoy it. And it's helped me too, to make so many relationships with artists I admire. And, you know, I followed them on Instagram and had like a little art Instagram crush on them. Like just think they're so talented. And now I'm on the side, like talking to them, which has also been really rewarding. So talk about your website a little bit. So you said you showcase other artists as well. Yes. So I have the art gallery website, which is the Scouted Studio. It's a Shopify site. I don't know if that matters, but I love it. And I rep about 40 artists right now, but I do have two emerging artist shows at a time, uh, at a two emerging artist shows per year, one in the fall and one in the spring. And that's really open to any artist to apply. And I usually showcase, you know, anywhere from 35 to like 45 artists that are just kind of new on the scene or that I haven't worked with before. And it's just a really great platform, I think, for newer artists to showcase their work. And then I'm located in Charleston. So a lot of my client base is here and it's a city where a lot of people are moving and they have new homes and they want to find fresh and affordable art. And so to be able to connect them with, you know, real artists that are just beginning their careers is a great way to kind of facilitate those relationships as well. No, it's amazing. And I love anything that's like live event focused too. So especially, I know a lot of people have been asking me about events lately. So how was your first event when you ran it? Um, great. <laughs> I, well, okay. I thought it was great as in I really enjoyed it, but I think I've learned so much over the years of doing different events and different types of events. I've done, you know, personal art shows, art shows with other people, events around Charleston, online art shows during COVID, which is something I'm still doing now. And I think the key is just having, if you can have really strong people that you're working with, it just helps the whole process work better. I mean, I think from a marketing standpoint, I had all these artists coming together, willing to share what, you know, about the event, what they were doing, which I think helped it flourish and across, you know, for lots of different events. But I think having that strong community and people that want to work with you and help you succeed is what's always made the events kind of go really well. For sure. Yeah. I feel like the sense of community is probably a huge aspect of that too. Yeah. I mean, they haven't come without their challenges. Like there's definitely been a lot of mishaps along the way, but I think that's kind of the fun part. You just learn as you go. Oh, just for sure. Yeah. We just ran our first event um, last or actually yeah, in February. And it was like so exhilarating. It was so fun to have all those people there and have all these speakers. But also, yeah, we definitely next time, like we're going to run it completely different. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's like it's always great. It's like in the moment you're like frantic and you're like, there's so many things that could be different. But then it, it goes off. It's fine. And then you look back and you're like, all right, but here's everything I'm going to change to make it better next time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what has been one of the biggest struggle when you first start your business and to get it up and running? I think honestly, pricing and knowing what I'm worth. And I think just feeling like it is okay for me to charge people for a lot of different things. I mean, I think first and foremost, like my artwork, I used to charge people an embarrassingly low amount for my art. And not that I think my work is worth millions and I don't think I charge like a crazy amount now, but I mean, I was doing house renderings for people. And I think when I first started, 
it was right after college. I was charging like $30 for something that took me hours. And now, you know, I've gotten to a more reasonable place where I'm like, all right, I know what I should be charging. But I think that's been a struggle across kind of across the board. And I think I see it with a lot of other artists too. And it's, it's funny. We have these conversations as a coach and they're like, pricing is difficult. And it's like, I see it on my side too. I mean, I think as a coach, it's hard for me to charge. I think as a gallery owner, it's it's weird to take a commission. And I think as an artist, it's hard to charge for your work. But I think as a business owner, I understand the value and, you know, I have to make a profit to make this sustainable, but I think it's hard to, to charge sometimes. It is. I feel like I still struggle with that, you know, years later. I think women in general really struggle with that concept of knowing what their time is worth and seeing how much effort they put into it. And I feel like paintings are definitely going to be a hard one because you have to be like, oh, how many hours did I actually put into this? Because a lot of times it's a very long amount of hours, right? Right. And I think it's in a lot of ways subjective. You know, it's like, what is this worth? I don't know. And it's so it's a lot of internal kind of questioning with that and, and trying to figure out both what do I think it's worth, but also what are people willing to pay? And I think there's this fear in the art community of things not selling. And so people just slash their prices and they're like, well, if I price it low enough, it will sell. And it's like, okay, maybe that's true to an extent, but what's the longevity of that? And so it's definitely something I talk to my coaching clients about, but also something I you know, regularly struggle with. For sure. Yeah. That's something a lot of people struggle with. <laughs> like, I feel like every, all the time I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I want to just not like, I literally just did like a flyer for somebody the other day. And I was like, oh, it took me like, you know, 45 minutes. I don't think I'm going to charge him. My husband was like, you need to charge him for this. You did the work. Like you still did it. And like, oh yeah, I know. I guess I should. I did send the invoice, but I like did. I, like it took me a few minutes, but like, should I send it? How much yep. do I want to charge him for? <laughs> I I run into that all the time. <laughs> right. It's just such a funny little thing. Like, oh, I still I don't know why. You know, it's just a weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> entrepreneurship has many entrepreneurship, has many ups and downs. How do you handle the bad days? Um, I think knowing when to step away. I think my personality, and especially when I first started kind of the different businesses, I was like head down working 24-7. Like it was good. And I think it got me to where I am now, but I also think it was bad in a lot of ways because I was so stuck in my work all of the time that I think I neglected a lot of the other parts of my life. And so now I, when things get really hard, I first, you know, acknowledge like, is this something I need to deal with right now? Is it hard because it's an issue that needs to be dealt with? Or is it hard because I'm stressing myself out? I need to step away. I need to go, you know, I love yoga. I love getting outside, like just go for a walk or you know, go get drinks with friends, like get out of your own headspace because I do this alone. I work alone and I work from home a lot of the time. So it's it's a lot of time to be in your own head. And so I think getting out of the space and getting with other people or doing something that's kind of meditative in some way, like yoga or a walk is a really good way to kind of just step away when things get a little bit tougher. Yeah, for sure. I always do that to you. I'm like, well, I'm just going to go sit aside in hand. I can read for a few minutes or I'm going to walk the dog or something. But yeah, just to disrupt those patterns, right? Because it can be, you can be very disruptive, even if you sit there and think about, you know, all the bad things are going to happen or how long it's going to take you to do these projects. I feel like if I come back refreshed too, I'm like, oh yeah, it's not really going to take me as long as if I would have sat there, it would take me hours to do those projects. I'm dreading it. But if I like step away and come back, I usually can get it done like so much quicker. Oh, exactly. It's like sometimes you just have to come at it with a fresh mind. And for me too, it's sometimes it's just closing all the tabs, my computer, my, I mean, 
I will sometimes have like 40 tabs open and my iPad will have something on it. And I'll be reading a book about business. And I'm like, no wonder I'm stressed out. This is, I need to go, you know, read like a dumb fiction book or some or non yeah fiction book that's like unrelated to business instead of just inundating myself with information all the time. Oh, exactly. And I feel like that's a mistake that so many entrepreneurs make. Like I need to learn all the things and never turn it off in the very beginning. It's like, no, you still need to take time for yourself and make sure you're okay. And a lot of times like people get into this because they want the freedom too. And then they just like throw it out the door right away. Yep. And I think it's setting those boundaries is really hard too when you it is your own business and it is, I mean, it's something I love. I, I do want to spend a lot of time on it, but I think it's really hard to know when to turn it off and how much work is enough work. But also I think working from home can be difficult sometimes too, because there isn't a separation between, you know, all right, I'm leaving the office. I can kind of close the computer and be done versus, you know, now it's kind of like, all right, so when does this really end? It just kind of all morphs together. So that's definitely something I've struggled with recently as I've transitioned to be working from home more. And so something I'm definitely working on. Oh, me too. Yeah. I have to have like a separate, like I have a separate room in my house just for my office now. And before it was so much harder when I was just, you know, working at the kitchen table or whatever, it's because you can't like separate those two rooms. Now it's a little bit easier, but it's the same thing. Like somebody texts me, you know, at nine o'clock at night, it's very easy for me to walk, you know, a couple feet and go check my computer and send them what they need or something like that. But right. But at least yeah. it's a separate room. It's some separation. <laughs> right. You need some separation, I feel like. Uh, I know I need to get into a co-working space. I think that would be so good for me to actually get around people a couple of days a week. Definitely. I've experimented and gone to a few just for a couple of days because I had a friend that worked at one. And it does. It's just even if it's one day a week, it just gets you in a different routine and it's nice. And yeah, I used to have an office space. And then during COVID, obviously, didn't go in because we couldn't. And so since then I haven't had one and it's, it's definitely an adjustment. I mean, I think I work so much more now because I just, even if I'm doing something, you know, for fun on my laptop, like watching Netflix or something, it's, you know, you can still see your email, you know, it's right there. And so I think, I don't know what the answer is, but it's definitely something I'm working on. Ooh, that's another thing, right? Your phone, everybody works on their phones now. So it's so easy to get your email at all times of the day. I think that's another really hard thing to separate. Yeah, I've finally set um, do not disturb all like when during the day so that I don't get texts. I, I mean, I have certain people that can come through and I can still check it. It's not like it's I'm perfect, but I think turning off all of the notifications has helped me a ton because I used to get that was something that would just stress me out. I'd be on like a work call or a Zoom call with, you know, a coaching client and I would see 18 texts coming through from other coaching clients or from an artist that needed something or for someone that bought a piece of art for me. And it was just constant stimulation and things I felt like I needed to deal with right away when realistically now I don't have them coming through constantly. And rarely in the art world, is there something that's an emergency that has to be dealt with, you know, within five minutes? I mean, typically an hour is fine. And so I think that's definitely helped me a lot. Well, I love that you said that. I feel like most things are never need to be shot in five minutes, but I think we're just hardwired as you know givers and we just want to be able to help people right away when they do that when they text you you know i always want to text people right back right away it's taking me a long time to kind of quit that habit and be able to be like oh i don't need to respond to people you know within five minutes i can wait you know a couple hours that day or if they respond to me eight o'clock at night you know i can respond in the morning it's not that big of a deal Right. And I think I actually, I talked to my therapist about this. She was like, you actually will be more respected as a professional if you don't respond within two seconds. Because first off, if you respond within two seconds, you know, they're going to expect that and people are going to expect you to respond within two seconds every time. But two, I mean, 
theoretically, if you're on calls with all these other people, like they don't need to be expecting you to respond right away. And I think that kind of clicked in my mind. I was like, yeah, I don't know why I feel like to be good at my job, I have to respond to everyone immediately. Like that's not, it's okay for me to wait a little bit. It's reasonable that I would be on doing another task. Right. I love that. Yeah. Most people don't have to do that. I feel like it's not entrepreneurs in general. Like, oh no, we were there for our customers, you know, but it's like, you can still be there for your customers and they can wait a little bit of time. It's okay. <laughs> yes. And I think it's just this like fear as an entrepreneur that your business is, you're going to lose a customer. Your business is going to fail. You know, you have to be perfect and on all the time. And I think the longer I've done this, I've come to realize that is not the case more and more. Same. So. Let's talk about your podcast. I had the pleasure of being on it yesterday, but why'd you start it? So I started the Art Coaching Club podcast because kind of what I mentioned earlier, I feel like there's this kind of void in the art world where there's so many people that are artists or want to become artists, but really feel like there's no straight path, not a lot of business advice. I mean, even people that go to art school, they kind of say, no one teaches me how to actually do it. And so I felt like, you know, I wanted to kind of, nix this term like struggling artists. I see so many artists that are really succeeding. And so I thought I would build a platform where I could share my knowledge as a coach, but more importantly, I could bring on other artists to be interviewed that could just share their stories. I mean, share their struggles, share actionable advice, things that have worked for them, things that haven't. And artists can kind of pull from that, the things that relate to them. And so kind of building a community virtually, you know, through podcasting that artists can listen to and feel like they're connecting with these artists and can pull information from other people. I just felt like it was something that was needed. And it's something that I've just really enjoyed being able to do. No, oh, I love that. Yeah. And podcasting is so fun, right? It's so cool to be able to connect with other people. Yeah. I was so, I think, nervous in the beginning because it felt very, I don't know, it's weird to broadcast your voice out there. And and I, I wasn't, I'm more of an introvert. So I didn't think I really had the confidence to do something like that. But I think seeing the response and the more people I've talked to, I've realized, you know, I've made so many great connections from it and the artist's feedback has been wonderful that have listened to it. So, you know, I grew, I grew and became a better speaker, I feel like, and have just grown to really love it. Yeah. I think podcasting is an amazing way to become a better speaker because you have to, you know, be on the spot and be engaged in conversations and actually listen to people, right? Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's taught me so much and I think improved just how we talk because you're thinking so much more about what you're saying, which I think is important. <laughs> it is right. Not just throwing things out there. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've also learned to pause a little bit more too. I think that's been a big thing for me because I feel like I've always been a really fast speaker. Um, I remember I worked in retail for a long time. So we'd have, I've worked in Maine. So all the Canadians would come down in the summertime and they'd always be like, can you talk slower? You know, cause they didn't speak English. And I'm like, oh, right. And like, it always take, I still like, I can talk really fast. I have to be really, really noticeable about how my speech patterns are. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's such a great way to be. I mean, I think we all, I talk really fast too, as people can tell from this episode, but I think through podcasting, it's made me think more about every word I'm saying, knowing people are going to listen to it versus, you know, just the way we talk colloquially. I don't think I said that word right, but is it's it's easy to just kind of use slang and talk really fast and, you know, not sound as educated. I feel like I would just, you know, spew stuff out. And now I feel like being on a podcast, I can actually say what I mean in a more clear and concise way. No, oh, I love that. I think so too. 
So I have one more question for you and then we'll wrap it up. What is your favorite book? My favorite book. Okay. So recently, and this is a business book, so, but I'm going to share it anyway. Um, I love not business books too, but I recently read launch and it is just an awesome, really actionable book on if you're launching a product or a business or a membership, just like strategies to do it. And it's pretty, it doesn't go too deep into like social media and stuff. It's like broader that I think you can apply kind of if you read it in 1990 or if you read it today. And so I read that probably six months ago and have implemented implemented it into a few different kind of things I've done with my business. And I just think it's a really easy read, but one that you can have a lot of takeaways if you're a business owner. Ooh, I love that. I'm going to have to read it. I haven't actually read that one. It hasn't come up yeah. yet. So it's a new one. I love it. <laughs> I just, I heard about it on a podcast and I read it and it's great. What about uh, fiction books? What's your favorite fiction book? Fiction books? I'm trying to think. I read one that was really good recently, but I had kind of, it was like, I think it was The Couple Next Door, The People Next Door. Um, I think it was The Couple Next Door. I'm I'm one of those. It's like, you know, they all have names that are kind of similar, but (laughs) it was really good. It was about basically like a couple and then they go next door for a dinner party and their baby goes missing. And it's kind of one of those like thriller page turners. Nothing crazy, but like a great beach read. (laughs) A beach read if you're into like, yeah, a mystery, like every plot twist, you know, different character perspectives. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah. I read all those kind of books too. So many of them. Yeah. I love both genres. You know, sometimes you just need a nice, easy book before bed, but oh, not I definitely switch ones. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I definitely switch between the two. I'm also like, I don't want to be reading business books. I live in Charleston. I'm at the beach. Like, I don't need to be like taking notes when I'm, you know, <laughs> sitting by the ocean. That's very true. Yeah. Awesome. And then how can people connect with you? So my Instagram is, well, I have a couple, but the art coaching club is one. And then the scouted studio is the gallery and I have the scoutedstudio.com for the gallery and my artwork. And then the art coaching club.com for art coaching. And then the podcast (laughs) and the podcast. Yeah. Definitely need to check out your podcast too. I'll have all those notes and all the links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yes. Thank you. This was great. Thank you for listening to the Women in Power podcast. Please hit the subscribe and like button to see more episodes. New episodes air every Wednesday morning. So please join our Facebook group, Women in Power, for the latest updates and news about our podcast.